All right, well, let's, uh, let's pray, and we'll get started. God, just thank you for this, this series that we've had as we looked at some, some hard questions that um, our friends or maybe even ourselves are asking, God, and just as we wrap it up tonight, um, we just see the importance of, of following you and, and we count the cost and we count it um, worth it. God, may we uh, just examine our hearts and our faith tonight as we see what it means to... Um, to be a disciple, not just to be an enthusiastic admirer of yours, God, but be somebody that participates and, and just tries to look like you and to be like you, God. Pray for this time. Pray for the small group after we're done. God, I just pray that you continue just to move um, in our hearts even after we, uh, we leave here and we go home. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so we this this is uh, week eight, our final week of our series on what is it. Uh, we're asking for a friend tonight's is is what does it mean to follow Jesus? When Julius Caesar, this is um, legend has it, when Julius Caesar landed on the shores of Britain with his Roman legions, he he took a bold and decisive step to ensure the success of his military venture. It's debated whether or not this is true. Uh, but it's a cool story, so I'm going to tell you anyway, just in case it is. But ordering his men to march to the edge of the cliffs of Dover, we have, the, so this is like the southern, easternmost part of, of England, are these white cliffs of Dover. You may have seen these in movies and pictures. It's pretty cool, pretty impenetrable, because you sail there, and that's where you land, and you have to try to climb up these steep cliffs. So he, he gets his men to go to the top and look down over the water. So he told them to look below, and to their amazement, they saw every ship in which they had crossed this channel totally engulfed in flames. Caesar had deliberately cut off any possibility of retreat. Now that the soldiers were unable to return to the continent, they were, there was nothing left for them to do but to advance and to conquer this island. And that's exactly what they did. Commitment to something is always scary. When you choose to fully devote yourself to something, whether it's a person that you're going to give yourself to wholly in marriage or a goal that you're going to work towards, there's always a little bit of fear in the middle of your dedication. So since the beginning of September, we've been asking tough questions and seeking tough answers. And so tonight, we're asking probably the most important question that we've asked so far, that is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? As a youth minister, I can tell you this is probably the best question that I could ever be asked by a student. What does it mean to follow Jesus? But just as we've approached all the other questions every week so far, we're going to dig in and answer the questions behind this question. So the first thing is, is Jesus really worth following? That, that's a good question right to add into this. You know, if we're going to ask the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, we need to answer, is Jesus actually worth following in the first place? It's not a surprise question. Whenever you call someone to do something or to something, you have to prove it's worth their time and their effort. The same is true when it comes to Jesus. People want to know if Jesus is really worth it. We'll take a second just to see what we know about Jesus to see if there was indeed something special about him that would make him worth following. One thing we see about Jesus is that he had compassion like nobody else. If you guys have the Bible app... Um, I have the notes there in the Bible app for you guys. 
And I have, I'm going to go through stories. I'm not going to read the stories to you because I want to make sure we go home tonight because I have a lot of scripture. But you're going to see in the Bible, if you'll see all the stories, you guys can go home and see these stories. I have, normally I leave the app open for a day, like this, this event open for 24 hours. I think I have it open for like five more days after today. So you can like, you can read it. You can even actually open the event. You can share it with a friend who's not here and be like, hey, this is what we learned about tonight and see if Jesus is worth it for you and send it to your friend. That's what you could do. And so you can, you can see all those passages there in the, uh, in the app. Many times in the New Testament, we see the words or the phrase that Jesus had compassion towards somebody. In the story of the adulterous woman, who was, this woman was caught in adultery, both to her and the man, although the man is nowhere to be found in this story. That's a different thing altogether. This woman was caught in adultery, and the Old Testament said that her, the, the punishment was death by stoning. This is the story where Jesus had those famous words, you know, he's without sin, cast the first stone. And it said he had compassion on this woman, told her to get up and sin no more, right? That's the story here in John chapter 8. Then you have the story of the leprous man in Mark 1, where he had compassion on him and he, and he healed this man. Then you have the story uh, of the blind beggar, again, who Jesus said that he had compassion on him and he healed this man. And Jesus also taught like nobody else. He'd always take the prevalent thought or teaching of what was popular at the time and turn it on its head. You can just look in the Sermon on the Mount and see in Matthew 5, chapter, chapters 5 through 7, all these different ways that the people were being taught and things that they thought they knew, how Jesus kind of turned it on its head and taught them something different. Because you have uh, in the teaching of adultery. Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 27, and even if you look at a woman lustfully, that's adultery. Talks about loving your enemies because they taught you hate your enemies, right? That's what that's just, that's natural for us to do to hate people that we don't like or don't like us. It's just natural for us to do. Jesus said to love your enemies. That's not easy. He also says talks about murder, not just murder like actually killing somebody. He says anybody angry with his brother is subject to judgment and guilty of murder. He took what they taught and things that they believed. And turned it on its head and kind of showed them it's, it's more than just a physical thing. It's the heart behind these things. He also taught that in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That teaching is a little bit different than anything anybody else has ever taught. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He's again talking about how he is the way. This is the way to turn a life is through Jesus. Again, this is not something that everybody teaches. And then just a couple verses over in chapter 10, go to verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Matthew 7. So that everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does is the will of my Father who is in heaven. I think there's going to be a lot of people when they get to heaven, they're going to get there and be like, I did these things. This is what it says here. He said, I, I did these things in your name. I, I performed all these things. I did all these things for you. He said, I, you know, depart from me is what it says later on in this passage. It's not things that people taught. Matthew 23 says, You serpents, you bride of, or brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Here, this part, he's speaking of the wickedness of the Pharisees, some of the most powerful, some of the most influential people 
in this time that Jesus is living and walking, he's calling them a brood of vipers, which to you doesn't really make a big deal. But it's, it's, it's a pretty big insult to these people. These are the most, like, you know, revered and, and well thought of people in the community. And Jesus is like, Man, you guys got it all wrong. You guys are missing the whole point to all this. So he, he taught like nobody else. Finally, we see that Jesus had power like no one else. We have the story of the demon-possessed man in Luke 8 where he walks up. This guy is just possessed. But by, by, it says by legion, which means many demons. And he casts them out into some pigs on the, the, the hillside there. He, he, that's, he, he did that by his words. Then you have, I don't know if I have those up there or not. Yeah. And then in, in Luke 5, the story of the paralytic, he was healed. Then you have Luke 7, raising of an only son from the dead. I think we read that and we're like, oh, that's cool. But do you think about it? Like, this dude was dead. And he's not dead anymore. Right? And we, we, I think we kind of read this and we kind of gloss over it. And we're not just in amazement of how truly miraculous this was. This kid was dead. And he's not anymore. Right? I think we kind of lose our sense of awe and wonder of who God really is and what Jesus could do. In Luke 8, 22, he's there taking a nap on the boat and the storm starts to crash on the boat. And he gets up and literally tells the, the sea and the waves to shut up. And everything remains calm. That's in Luke 8, 23. Go down just a few verses to Luke 8, 40. There's this woman who's been bleeding, I think it said for 12 years. And she just wanted to be healed. She tried all kinds of different things and nothing could happen because of her... Her, her illness she had, she couldn't even go to temple because she was deemed unclean all the time. She just wanted to be healed. So she was pressing through the crowds trying to get to Jesus. I imagine her because she touched the, the, the Hebrew word where it says she, she just reached out and touched part of his cloak. And the part that they're talking about wouldn't be like up here. It'd be like a little farther down on their, their clothes. So I can see this woman like on her knees kind of crawling through this crowd of people and just reaching out to touch Jesus. And as soon as she touched part of his clothes, she was healed. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to say anything. And she was healed from 12 years of this bleeding that she had. Nobody else finds this cool or crazy. But this, this is who my Jesus is. This is what he could do. He didn't have to say anything. This lady's faith did everything there. Had this faith in God and in Jesus and what he could do, and so she was healed. Looking at those things alone, albeit very briefly, not as broad as Scripture shows us, it truly begins to show us just how special Jesus really was. We could spend weeks and weeks talking about how truly special Jesus is, right? And how he is truly worth following. But for tonight's lesson, again, for sake of time, we're not going to go into all of the things. You guys can read that on your own. Let's so come to the next question. Isn't following Jesus just hard? Isn't it really hard? Should I do that? Is it hard? Again, that's not a crazy question. Anytime you're signing up for something, you want to make sure that you know where you're getting yourself into, right? Um, you, you may not understand this fully as teenagers, but some of the adults, you kind of will. Um, you know, when I, when I go to the store and I sign up for this thing, how many emails am I going to get? 
If I would have known how many text messages I would have get, I would have gotten from Greenwood's Remind text messages, I would never would have signed up for the Remind text messages from Greenwood. They're stupid. I get 85 a day, and there's like, I get from the intermediate school. I don't have a kid at the intermediate school, and I've been trying to get my name off that list, and I don't know what I'm doing. It's stupid. If I would have known about it, I probably never would have signed up, and they could like email me if it was really important. Right? It's just, you know, we want to know what the cost is when we do something. When we sign up for something, right? You know, if, if I have you guys volunteer, like if I say, hey, we're going to go on this mission trip at spring break, you want to know what we're doing, right? Right? You want to know, hey, what was this going to cost me financially? Was it going to cost me time-wise? Was it going to cost me physically? Like, what am I going to have to do? Am I capable of doing it? We want to know the cost to doing something before we sign up and do it. And so Jesus even challenged his followers to count the cost. In Luke 14, 28, he said, But which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? You can kind of, I feel like this, the people who were building whatever it was next to HEB on the loop did not count the cost because that place is not being worked on and it's been a long time since that's being worked on. Right? So if you're going to build a house, if you're going to build something, you're going to see what the cost is, determine if you have enough money, and then you're going to build. Correct? Right? This, this just logically makes sense. That's what, we're, that's what Jesus is calling us to do, counting the cost of following him. So, is Jesus following Jesus really hard? Yeah. Following Jesus is simple to understand, but it's hard to live out. And Jesus wants fully committed followers not just fans. I am a fan of the Chicago Cubs. You guys know that about me. That's who I am. Um, I'm not a player for the Cubs, right? I can only do so much as a fan of my baseball team, right? I'm an enthusiastic admirer of the Cubs. That's what a fan is, an enthusiastic admirer. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus was never interested in fans. Listen to some of the things Jesus says to those who are interested in, in following him. Luke 9, 23, Doug did this one on Sunday morning. And he said to all, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The same passage is found in other Gospels, but only in the Luke one does it actually use the word daily. Take up his cross daily. And then just a little, little bit farther down, you have... Luke nine fifty seven. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It sounds really harsh. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Those things sound really mean and really harsh. Jesus is trying to tell us and make sure we know, understand the point, understand the cost of following him. There's a song by Rent Collective, you guys check those guys out, called The Cost. Um, it's, I'm not going to play it for you tonight. But you guys check it out. It's called The Cost by Rent Collective. It's a good, good song. But he wants us to understand that it's more about, it's not about being a fan of Jesus. It's about being 
a follower.
So let me ask you this. Would you define your relationship with Jesus like that of a fan, an enthusiastic admirer of who Jesus is? You know, close enough to Jesus to get the benefits, but not so close as requires sacrifice. Following Jesus is it's an all-or-nothing commitment that encompasses every single aspect of your life. And because following Jesus, like I said a while ago, it, it is difficult. It requires us to put him first and everything else second. David Platt, another author that I like, he said, Radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort, not health, not wealth, and not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things, but in the end, such risk finds its, finds its reward in Christ. And He is more than enough for us. He's calling us to not just be a fan, not just to be an enthusiastic admirer. He's calling us to do so much more. Every time you see Him call His disciples in the Gospels, He always, he always says two things. He says, follow me. Two words, follow me me. Has anybody ever been to the beach before? If you, if you ever go with like whenever you're a kid, maybe you're walking on the beach and you see like your parents are walking in front of you and you see their footsteps in the sand. Did you ever, you may not remember, but as a kid, this is kind of what kids kind of do. They try to like step where their parents stepped before. Like right now, Jojo's favorite thing when we're walking outside, she likes to step on my shadow and pretend it hurts me. I don't know why, because she's mean. But we, we have, you know, we try to walk in the footsteps and look like we're trying to be and you know for us kids we can't walk the same distance because our legs are smaller if you're still me your legs are still smaller than most people's and so you're trying to reach trying to follow as what your parents are doing on the beach and we're to follow christ that close when we're following christ people should look at you and all they see is jesus they don't they just see jesus and you're like ghosting him has anybody ever ghosted somebody not like text message ghosted before that we used to do things with my old youth group we go to six flags and we would ghost people. We would like, as they were like, as somebody's walking past us, we would follow along and try to walk with them right as close as we could and for the longest until we got noticed. It's really fun to do uh, unless you're like somebody wants to pick a fight, then it's not quite as fun. But we would do that with people. And so you just try to walk as close and you try to like match their cadence and their steps and their length of the, you know, all that kind of stuff and just follow closely. And it just sounds silly and stupid because it was. Uh, maybe try that at school tomorrow. But, you know, we we're trying our best to follow the people in front of us, and that's what Christ is calling us to do, just to follow what he does. You know, there we're walking behind people, matching their, you know, if they kind of lean back a little bit, we would have to lean back, otherwise they would hit us, you know. Trying to imitate them as much as we could as we walked behind these people, and that's what he wants us to do, is to, to walk like him, to look like him, to talk like him. And it's to live our life as best as we can like him. But what if, what if I mess up? What if I screw up? What if... If I'm following Jesus today and tomorrow, I just have the worst day ever. And everything I do is just wrong. Everything I think is wrong. Everything I say is wrong. And I just totally screw up. And isn't this always a question when we commit to something? You know, whenever I set up at the cable company or a gym or, or anything, I want to know what happens if I mess up? What's it going to cost me? What if I can't keep this commitment that I've signed up to do? And that's part of this whole commitment, right? We fear that we cannot live up to this commitment that we're making. You know, if you join a sports team, you have a commitment to your teammates or to your coaches, right? If you ever played sports, that's hopefully you made a commitment to them. Maybe not verbally, but inside you're like, I'm going to commit to going to practice. I'm going to commit to doing these things and be there for my teammates. If you're in band, if you're in drama, whatever, you're going to make a commitment to 
to those people you're doing this with, right? And so we ask those questions. Anything we commit to, well, what if I mess up? What if I, you know, what if I'm supposed to, to make this play and I mess up? What if I'm supposed to say this line and I forget my line, you know? What happens if I mess up? Let me tell you the simple truth. You're going to mess up, right? Just get that out of the way. Just know you're going to mess up. You will fall short. You will fail because the Bible is very clear. It says in Romans 3, for all, uh, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That's, a, that's all. That's, that's each one of us. Everybody. We've all sinned and fallen short. But the beauty of following Jesus is that I am made perfect by the grace that only Jesus can give. We will mess up. We will fall short. But God loves us anyway. Let's put a little bit of a smile on your face or something. No matter what we do, God loves us. Almost every religion in the world is about meeting some standard or performing some set of ceremonies or things to make ourselves worthy of God. Christianity is the only religion where the only way we are worthy is because God stepped in and became one of us. There's absolutely no way we can earn the love and the grace of God. No amount of good we could do to ever come close to making us worthy. Not enough money we can give, not enough times we can go to church to make us worthy. One of the greatest illustrations, I think, is, is from the powerful movie Saving Private Ryan. It's a little, probably older than you guys, but that's okay, you can watch it. After D-Day's invasion, Captain John Miller and the surviving members of his party were asked to go and to rescue a young soldier named James Ryan, whose brothers have all perished during the invasion. So everybody in this family, all of his guys' brothers have died, and it's just him left. Many of Captain Miller's men paid the ultimate price to accomplish this mission. Um, in the final battle scene, Captain Miller took a bullet for young Ryan and it cost him his life. I'm not spoiling anything, it's been out for like two decades. As the movie closed, we see an aged James Ryan in a graveyard, standing over the grave of Captain Miller. His only response to what Captain Miller did for him is to look at his wife and to say, Tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I've earned what he's done. God sent Jesus to die in our place to perfect us when we were imperfect. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake, not his sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin, Jesus. He made him who, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You guys catch this? For our sake, not for God's sake, for our sake, he made Jesus to be sin, this man who knew no sin, who lived a perfect life, made this man who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is a beautiful portrait of what the gospel is. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I kind of wish at this point we were a charismatic church and get a little woo-woo or something. That's exciting stuff. 
By grace you have been saved. When we were dead in our sins, we had no hope, we're not worthy. He made us alive together with Christ. Following Jesus is like that. We follow Jesus and we seek to live for him because we love him and we want to please him. That is what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus is not just a concept to believe. He's not just some lofty idea, some religion. Jesus is a living person for us to follow. It's about growing in a relationship with the God that created all things. We are called to be his disciple. That's, that's the Greek word for disciple is methetes. A disciple is a disciplined follower of a master. It takes time, it takes energy. We're to be disciplined in our pursuit of him, to be in a relationship with him. If you play sports, if you do band, if you're in drama, you're going to be disciplined in what you do, right? Because that way you you can either move up to the next team or you can be the starting team or, or you don't want to make mistakes while you're playing the game or doing your lines or whatever it is. You want to be disciplined and take the time and energy and effort to be the best thing you can be, right? I watched a video of Deion Sanders today talking about practice. If you guys haven't seen it, if you play sports, go watch it. It's like a minute and a half long, if even that long. It's incredible. Talking about the purpose of practice. It's to make us be the best that we can be. It takes discipline, right? It takes discipline to be the best that we can be. So if you've never chosen to follow Jesus, why not start tonight? Why not begin a relationship with Jesus for the first time? So maybe you've maybe been a fan of Jesus your whole life. Thinking that maybe you are a true follower of Christ, or maybe you're just an enthusiastic admirer of the man. James 2.19 tells us that even the demons believe in God, and they still shudder. It's so much more than just a belief in Jesus, being a fan of Jesus. It's about committing your life to Him, choosing to look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. We're about to pray, and we're going to split up into our small groups. But if you need to talk to me about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, or maybe like, I've been a fan for far too long, I'm ready to be, to be a follower, I'll be here to come talk to you. If you want to talk to another adult, they'll talk to you as well. But I want you guys to leave here without talking to somebody if you're willing to begin to follow Jesus or to just say, hey, I've been a fan for too long. I'm ready to, to commit to Jesus like I'm supposed to. Commit to follow Jesus like he's called me to do. Let's pray. God, tonight just may you just invade our hearts and just tell us and show us where we've been just fans and not, not following like we're supposed to go, where we've just been admirers of you and admirers of the things you, you say and the things you did, God, but not truly really following like, we've, like we're supposed to, like you've called us to. God, may we see that it's so much more, so much more than just giving lip service to you. God, it's truly really about giving you a heart in our lives. And walking so closely to you that when people look at us, they don't see us, they just see you. And when we live that out, maybe people see what we have and be drawn to you because of, of the you in our lives, the things that you're doing in us. May we just be challenged and changed. And may you just show us where we've been fans for too long. May we choose tonight to be followers of you to truly walk 
in your ways. May this next little bit of time in our small groups be, be beneficial, God. May they be questions answered, God, and just some challenges thrown out. And may they just continue to see the importance of moving past this lip service acknowledgement that you are a concept or an idea, God, but that you are their Savior. God, may you just move in a mighty way tonight. May even after they, they leave here, may they continue to wrestle with things that, that you're pressing upon their hearts tonight. In name I pray. Amen. I will split up into uh, a couple groups for tonight.